Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast. Our mission is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. Today, I'm blessed to be joined by our two co-hosts. We have uh, Jim Good. How's it going, Jim? What's going on, Chad? And we got Gian Lemmy checking in with us. Hey, Chad. So happy to be here. Yeah, happy New Year, guys! Uh, this is our first episode of 2023, and uh, we we all have uh, been a part of just the one word process. And just curious, can you guys tell me what's what's your one word for the year? Jim, I'll let you go first. Oh, you're too kind, my friend. Uh, happy New Year to everybody! Yes, 2023. Hard to even say that out loud, but amazing uh, concept, life changing for me as I started this about five years ago. But I was really praying through my one word and right around December, God just kept showing me this word in scripture and through praise and worship. So my one word for this year is victory. And I'm learning to celebrate the victories in my life, the wins, but I'm just claiming victory for this new year, victory over sin, victory in my marriage, victory in relationships. And uh, man, I'm excited about what God's going to do. Let's go victory. What about you, Gian? Mine is focus. Um, I was I was wavering. I told Jim before we started recording. I was wavering between empathy and focus, um, but I'm just decided that I'm going to focus on empathy to, this year. Um, but just focus at work um, so that I can get the work done. So when I'm home with my family, I I can just not focus on work um, and just focus on my family, um, and then just focus on the word. Um, just have a, a laser focus on on the goals i want to achieve and 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 the person that i want to become how about yeah, you that's Chad? so good that's so good yeah we'd encourage all, all you coaches to to dig into your one word if if you haven't come up with one yet for this year but mine mine was walk um just have uh, a speed uh we'll call it a speed addiction um just yet yeah, trying to go fast and uh, get all these things done 10 different things spinning and uh the lord's just teaching me just to slow down walk, walk with him, walk with family, walk with those that I'm ministering to. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been doing a little word study right now through, throughout the Bible on, on walk. And just, you see it over and over how we need to, to walk like, like Christ. Um, but we, uh, we're so excited for, for the new year of, of all these coaches and influencers that we have to share their story. And just one, uh, that I'm super excited to share today is just Brad McCarty. He's the head coach at Messiah, and um, they ha just have a dynasty going. If you haven't read The Messiah Method, there was a book written on their uh, storied program, uh, the most winning soccer program from 2000 to 2010, more than UNC, more than any other school. And, and he's won uh, multiple national championships. Um, and he, what's special about their program is just their heart for discipleship. Um, they're not just winning; they're they're doing it the right way. And so, if you haven't seen read that book, I'd highly recommend it just to get a an inside look. But, gentlemen, uh, do you guys have anything that you'd want to highlight about this episode? I got uh, two things, Chad, and great conversation with Brad. Appreciate him taking the time to be with us. Um, he shared a little bit about identity, and, and that just hits home with me. I'm sure a lot of our coaches have struggled with you know, their identity as a coach. And he used a term that I, first time I actually heard it, um, amnesia and, and just reminding ourselves who we are, but more importantly, whose we are. And it's that idea about 
transactional coach versus transformational. So I, I enjoyed that. And then the second thing real fast, just lock in and tune in and he actually shares some parenting advice. And so I thought that was good as he shared a little bit about his role as an assistant um, and just being in the line with the head coach and the partnership in the marriage and just being on the same page. So I encourage you to just uh, tune into that parenting advice as well. Yeah, you guys, you guys know I'm more of the practical guy. So he also talked about how he constructs his official visits to make them um, as effective as possible. So that was a, a must listen for all of us that are now, you know, hosting official visits and and, and those things, as well as the power of delegating and, and how he does that within his staff and his players. Um, but yeah, coach, we just don't want to waste any more time. We want to get to the episode right now. All right, we got Brad McCarty. It's so good to have you on the Christian Coach Podcast, uh, head coach at Messiah College, and uh, heard so many great things about you and, and the program. So we just had to uh, ask you to come and join us, and, and we uh, like to get right into it. So just first question we always ask is, uh, what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? Yeah, well, first, uh, thanks for the invite and for having me. It's neat. Um, yeah, being a, a Christian coach, um, I think that's no different than being a Christian businessman or a Christian teacher or a Christian soccer player. Um, I think one of the things that that are a challenge for us as Christians, in, in regardless of our role, is where our, our identity is, and we talk about that a lot here at Messiah. Um, I think uh, I think I would I would say uh, we have amnesia. We forget uh, who we are and whose we are, and that's one reason why we crack open the Bible and we and we we remind ourselves and we're we're reminded who we are. Um, you know, the idea of having your identity based on your faith uh, and and a knowledge of of you know it gives you gives you a tether gives you a foundation when, when things are difficult um, and, and allows you to, to do your job well. So whether you're, you know, a teacher or, or a businessman, engineer, doctor, um, there's the ability to be vulnerable, uh, to say that you're wrong, to um, listen to others, um, and to know that there's things you can control and things you can't. Uh, and so, you know, I think specifically in regard to coaching, there's um, young people that you're interacting with, whether you're coaching youth or club or high school, uh, college, pro, there's, um, there's a fragile relationship between between you and players, because there's just a there's a power imbalance. You you dictate whether they're on the team, whether they're off the team, whether they start, whether they play. So inherently, that that's that's a challenge. Um, and when your identity as a coach is based on whether you win or not, then it's a very transactional relationship. It's just like I'm. I got to play players that are going to help me win, and I need to win, and or I lose my job, and I can't provide for my family. So, you know, I think what you know what it means to be a a, a Christian coach. Um, if if we 
keep reminding ourselves because we forget that our identity is in Christ. It allows us to, I think, lead much better. That's really good. That's really good. So much, so much gold within there and excited to continue to unpack it. But I, the spot I want to start at is if you just take us back to how did you end up as a student at Messiah College and yeah. what was your personal growth like in your faith while you were a student athlete there? Yeah, good question. So I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were first generation Christians. Um, and, uh, you know, committed my life to, to Christ up at Deerfoot. Uh, it's a wilderness camp up in the Adirondacks. Um, but in high school, I drifted away. Uh, some, I was looking at a variety of different schools, uh, mainly public schools and, and Messiah. And when I visited Messiah, it just felt different. Didn't really make any sense. You couldn't dance here. And I was like partying. I'm like, why I came here? They had a good soccer program good physical education program, but just the feel of the place was different. Uh, so came here and uh, loved my experience, was way in, but I, but still kept the Lord at an arm's length until my senior year where I recommitted my life to the Lord and um, yeah, had a significant impact, impact on me. And connect the dots then from, from that moment, uh, your senior year to coming back as as an assistant coach what what made you want to come back yeah so i um i was able to jump down with the charlotte eagles that was their very first year uh, after i graduated that was year one um and continue to, to grow and kind of get an understanding of what it means to be a, you know a christian athlete and um use soccer as a platform to tell others about christ um Came back, was like a JV coach for a year, then went back to Charlotte. Then I got a job out in Kansas. I was out in the Midwest for six years at the Heston College and then was at a Division II school uh, at Erskine College. You know, all these are, you know, Christian Christian universities, Christian schools. And then Dave Brandt called, uh, a position opened up, assistant AD, assistant men's soccer coach. It's a little bit odd to go from, you know, head Division II coach uh, to assistant division three coach uh but i felt like the lord was saying hey you know your coaching days are over I, i've got a plan for you to be it as administrator and it was back home back at your alma mater and i said great so i came back and i was dave's assistant for eight years gotcha and uh yeah i love that from you talked about as a as a recruit messiah feeling different as mm -hmm. you visit even though if you weren't walking for with christ um, and I know in your guys' recruiting, the the official visit is is key. Um, can you just talk talk me through any other Christian coaches listening to to talk about what what felt different as a student, and then what you're trying to create there on on these official visits? Yeah, no, that's interesting. That's a good question. I mean, you know, they those that help, you know, with that with that process, uh, talk about feel. Uh, which is interesting. You would think a, a male has about the depth of a, a bird bath. And so the last thing it, they would make a decision is based on the feel of the program mm -hmm. or how they feel when they're on campus, when, you know, they don't really make a lot of other decisions based on how they feel. But I think that's maybe the number one factor. And so, yeah, I think that impacts um, the type of visit you want to be able to provide that student athlete um, 
you know, their level of comfort, their ability to interact with student athletes, their ability to interact with coaches and, you know, it's whether they could picture themselves being there or not. I think that's a huge part. And so, you know, when you, when you picture what a campus visit looks like, how many of those have, um, whether it's overnight or not, you know, and so I think there's a lot of work that, that you can do uh, to have that go well. That's good. That's really good. And just want to keep, keep picking your brains here. I love, I love it. And as you're an assistant coach there at Messiah, um, was, was there any like, um, yeah, the grass is green on the other side or these moments of, of wanting to leave. Cause I know a lot of coaches just struggle with, with digging in and blooming where they're planted. But, um, as you took that kind of humble step and hey, I'm going to learn, I'm going to serve and, and take this new role. Uh, what was it like for you as an assistant coach after being a head coach for, for so long? Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I, you know, played soccer my whole life, played college for four years. I ended up playing for the Charlotte Eagles for four years. I'd been a head college coach for seven years at that point. Um, but again, Mike, I think it would have been harder if I hadn't had those opportunities because, you know, the eight years I spent with Dave, I learned more than I did any of those other years. Um, and I wasn't like dying to be a head coach. I'd already done that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, again, my identity wasn't in, hey, I need to be a head coach. I need the people to see me or know me or I need to be in charge. Like, it's not really who I am. Um, not clamoring for attention or need to be seen that way. And so um, I just tried to be as good of an assistant coach as I could for Dave, um, you know, and I think every head coach is different um, in regard to what they need, um, their ability to delegate or not delegate. And, you know, Dave, Dave needed a sounding board. Um, that's, that's, I think, one of the main things that I provided, provided him. He didn't need a vision. He didn't need ideas. He knew what he wanted. Um, but to be able to provide some feedback, I think, was very helpful to him. That's good. And and we know from business, from sports teams, just how essential uh, the team is, uh, the coaching staff being united. You know, we've seen we've seen assistant coaches tear away from a head coach's mm -hmm. leadership. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, just curious if, if there's any assistant coaches listening in, mm -hmm. thinking through, like, how can I how can I serve and, and mm -hmm. love my head coach? What advice would you give to that that young assistant coach that's that's there day in, day out um, for their head coach. Yeah, I think be, being an assistant coach uh, can be really challenging. Um, you know, I think especially when maybe there there's not a, an alignment to what they believe and what, what you believe. Um, and, and when maybe that head coach doesn't maybe give you the ability to have some ownership in that program. And so I think that can be, that can be difficult. Um, but I, I, I think there's an element of honor and respect and, um, and, and if nothing else, man, just an, an element of, of loyalty uh, and, and that you're a united front. It's no different than parenting and, and having children. <laughs> You may disagree in the bedroom, but when you're in the kitchen, you got to be unified. And um, so, you know, I think 
you can disagree and you can have different beliefs, but uh, you need to have that head coach's back and you need to be unified. And um, I think that can be very difficult, uh, but I think that's that's a high calling. Yeah, it's good. Honor, respect, loyalty. Uh, those are really, really good. Um, love your perspective. Um, and just getting into Michael Zigarelli, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, a professor at Messiah um, ends up studying your guys' program and, you know, all the national championships there um, from 2000 to 2010 and uh, the highest win percentage across all, all divisions. Um, and, and in his book, I, I just want to share a little bit about it. I think our listeners should be reading it and uh, gleaning from it. Um, but uh, he, he wrote about you and he said, uh, you had the humility not to fix what's not broken and the wisdom to adapt Messiah's approach. So as you transition from an assistant coach to head coach, um, you, you had that. Can you just speak into that moment of, okay, I'm now I'm the head coach. Now I'm the leader. Uh, you know, I don't want to completely flip things upside down. We're, we're winning at a high level. Um, but we're also going to put my personal touch on things. I have to be who I am. But can you speak into that moment of becoming the head coach? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, when when Dave left, uh, I wasn't quite sure if it was a job that that I would um you know, apply for and, and be interested in. Uh, it's hard being an internal candidate. Uh, in the end, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they they offered it to somebody else who turned it down. And so uh, I was their second choice. Uh, every job I've had, I've been the second choice. Tell people, it doesn't matter once you get the job, if you're the second choice. I, I tell recruits sometimes, I'm like, doesn't matter whether you're the first recruit or the last recruit. I'm like, if you're in, you're in. Um, I think sometimes pride gets in the way of, of some brilliant opportunities in people's lives. And so, um, yeah, Mike Zigarelli came in my office shortly after I got the job and he wanted to write a book on what it was like to, you know, follow, follow a really successful program slash leader. And could he be around the program? And I was like, no way, man, <laughs> like, no way. I'm like, Last thing I wanted you is have an up close personal, you know, view of me burning this program to the ground. Like, cause who would, who wants that job? Right. Yeah. Like David won six national championships and short period of time, three time national coach of the year. I'm like, you can only make that program worse. So that was, that was a, that was a tall order. Um, you know, there were two things that I tried to hold on to tightly because Soccer is a funny sport and there's low scoring and things happen. Um, first is just to make sure that both our program, like our, our staff and our players kept our core values to the forefront. And then second was just make sure I recruit kids that are just an excellent fit. Those two things I can control. I, everything yeah. outside of that, I don't know. And in regard to your question about, yeah, I mean, I think there were a lot of people like, hey, how are you going to put your thumbprint on it? How are you going to put your, you know, influence? And I mean, certainly, you know, we're all different individually when it comes to our personality, our characteristics, our, our coaching. Um, but again, I, I was impacted tremendously in my eight years here 
and I'd been a player. It's not like Messiah. It's not like I hadn't been at a part of Messiah. I'm like, I was an alum. I played here for four years. But what Leighton did, I think, Leighton Shoemaker, who I played for and Dave played for, did a brilliant job of a number of different things, just a, a pursuit of excellence, quality, hard work. Uh, but Dave added a lot to that in regard to attention to detail, uh, being intentional on and off the field, where when he left, I was just like, I, I don't know why I would want to like change all these different things um, about the program. And so there's probably, it's probably closer to what it looked like when Dave was here than, than what it's not. And again, I think that, I think that comes from, um, your, when, when your identity is in Christ, you have the ability to say, yeah, everything I have is stolen. That's okay. I'm like, that's all right. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, and, and I think that insecurity makes us spin our wheels. So everyone knows that, that we're worthy and we're smart and we're a good coach where coaching's hard. It's hard. Relationships are hard and you got 28 kids that you're trying to have a relationship with and you're trying to get them to buy in. You're trying to get them to be on the same page. And, um, and we make mistakes. We're, we're sinful. We, we fall short. We're, we're not great. And we got to be able to apologize. And, um, so, you know, I think for me, I think I, I was able to see Dave's vision and what he wanted, what he was looking for. And we've been able to maintain that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh at a high level too, as I just look at the stats, you know, you guys went on to, to win a national championship there and, uh, and multiple times. So um, you've obviously done a phenomenal job and they've kept you, kept you around this long. I'm I, What was cool too, in the book, he talked about the four uh, main, main leaders, main head coaches, um, all being a little bit different. Like everyone had their own little personality difference or um, yeah, kind of spiritual, how, how they relate to players. And um, just as you reflect on, your leadership style, your you know ministry to the players. How do you see that it has been um, different since you have been been the leader here these past 10, 10 plus years? Um, yeah, just curious, curious. Like, uh, I love your humility and um, you know saying you're not trying to mess it up, but you've done an excellent job. And um, but yeah, what's what's been special about you being there the the past few years? Yeah, I think one of the things and and. The the first thing you know I did when I got the job was ask Aaron Farrow to to be my assistant. Aaron Farrow had played here. He had he had been uh, he was a junior when I got here in two thousand and one. So I coached him for a couple years, and then he had played for the Charlotte Eagles. He had run the academy, kind of started it a little bit um, with some others in Chicago for the Chicago Eagles, similar to the AIA Academy you guys have going on in Ohio. Um, and so, you know, the two of us kind of started this venture together. I, I was hoping that, to have him for four years, right? I'm like, you max out on that. And we just finished our 14th season together. Special. I consider him an associate head coach. I keep trying to get him that title, but um, high red sometimes is has some red tape but 
you know, I think one of the things that we've done well, that I've done well is delegate some of those things. Um, you know, it's hard for me individually to be a spiritual leader for 38 people that, that doesn't make sense. That's, um, Christ didn't have 38 guys in his, in his small band of brothers. And so, um, we have assistant coaches on staff. Um, and one of the things that, one of the things that they do well, um, and, and the expectation, like we don't, we don't pay our assistants much. I don't even know if it, it covers their costs in gas, but I asked two things. I'm like, you gotta be at practice twice a week. So I'm like, we only practice, you know, four days a week. So I'm like, you only need to be at four practice. You don't have to get any way games. You don't have to do any recruiting. You can make the home games if you want, but two practices and you got to run a Bible stuff. Right. Gotcha. So like, you know, that idea that, um, you know, they're, that they're engaged and involved uh, individually mm-hmm. um, has been, has been helpful. Um, you know, I think that the other thing that we do well is, um, we work really hard at having our upperclassmen be influential, be leaders. Um, they they they're responsible for team devos on Friday on Sunday nights. Like that's not something that we run, um, but we want to give them tools in their tool belt as they're as they're getting to that point as their upperclassmen to be able to say, hey. What are ways that I can lead? What are ways that I can invest in my, and it's like, you know, sometimes you get more out of a Bible study when you prepare for it than when you ever get, when you sat there for it. So that opportunity for them to grow and to lead uh, and to be influential uh, has been, has been special. We've also, uh, I think Aaron has really helped our program um, be engaged both with international community. We've been going to, Medellin and Colombia um, for a number number of trips over the last 11, 12 years or so, but also engaged in our community. COVID certainly had an impact on that, but every spring we've been engaged in different ways with our community um, locally, just to be an opportunity to, to invest relationally, whether that's with a migrant community or, um, you know, uh, local school, whatever that may be, just an opportunity to have players see their faith in action. That's really good. The uh, it takes uh, humility to delegate that type of responsibility and leadership to your assistant coach, to the upperclassmen, and um, having that trust. Um, so I I love that. Uh, respect you for for that. Um, just that as I'm an outsider looking into your program and just uh, a guy that read a book. Right. Um, but just reading about it from the outside, the disciplines that, um, that Michael wrote about number one is just pursuing a higher purpose, be intentional about everything, uh, recruiting both and players, cultivate team chemistry, link training to the match, choreograph game day, and then playing to the standard. Um, is that like written in a handbook for you guys? And is there anything that you would um, that you would add or delete if you had to author a book on on your program today? 
so yeah, I mean, uh, I think Mike Zagarelli's book is a good window uh, into our program. I think you get a sense of what it's like here. Um, lots of interviews, right? It's an easy read, just kind of people just talking. And so it's kind of an easy, easy way to, to turn those pages. Um, some of those are core values, not all of those are core values. Uh, but I, again, I think it gives you, it gives you a, a taste. Um, you know, what would I say to a, to a, to a young coach? Um, you know, I think, I, I think the difference between, you know, a coach that is able to lead well and, and someone who, who sometimes um, struggles with some of those things is your ability to cast a vision um, for what you want and, and then to get those individuals to buy in. So whether you're a businessman, whether you're a principal, doesn't matter. You've got people underneath you and they're, and, and they're either going to have a high level buy-in or they're not. And a lot of times coaches cut their own legs out from underneath them and they make bad decisions that just impact negatively people below them and, and their desire to, to, to have a high level buy-in. And a lot of that has to do with explaining why, right? Like you can, you can impact the behavior of your children. You can be, impact the behavior of your employees. You can impact the behavior and make them obey your, your players when you're around, but in order to get them to do it when you're not around, when the seniors aren't around, you know, you if you can explain why and you can impact their heart, then they're going to do it because they want to do it, not mm. because you want them to. And so I think there's so many times where, you know, coaches, they, they lose that focus and, you know, you have a huge roster and kids are coming in and out and, and, transfer portal and um it's just i i find it hard to believe that you can create a, something special and unique um when all you care about is finding the best players and getting them on the field you you can you can do well you can you can be successful you can win that way but um there's also a lot there's there's also a lot more stories of crashing and burning mm -hmm. so I think that ability to get kids to buy in um, and it is in and understand this. I'm standing on the shoulders of coaches before me. And my players are standing on the shoulders of alumni that came before them. And what I'm talking about takes, you know, can, can take years, can take decades to do, but to be able to have, the fortitude and and the desire to to be able to create that vision and get keep people to buy in is special. One hundred percent. The the patience, uh, you know, for me when I was hired as a coach, I really thought, give me six months and I'm going to mm. turn this thing around. You know, like mm. I was an idiot. Um, just how long is forty years mm. to see what Messiah has built there? Um, really good point. I love just cast the vision and getting them to buy in. And it seems like one thing that's maybe difficult to get student athletes to buy into is maybe the winning component. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, just an outsider reading a book, but as he was writing, I, 
jot down a few quotes um, from each coach. He kind of had a quote that uh, winning is not the goal. It came um, from an idealistic vision that was not focused on winning. That was Dave Brandt. Um, our goal is not really to win soccer games from Scott Frey, the women's coach. Um, but yeah, talk to us about just that. You, you alluded to it at the beginning about what it means to be a Christian coach. Um, and I know just kind of playing to the standard was kind of a theme within there. But can you just talk because I, I wrestled with it as well uh, as a small yeah. college Christian coach. Like you yeah. want to win. Maybe you want to progress in your career. Yeah. Um, but we know that we can't use student athletes as tools to mm. serve us. Um so, yeah, just talk to us about your your mindset and because you guys have won at the highest level. But uh, the book says that winning is not not important. So just can you share your your heart in that? Yeah, I mean, I, and I certainly believe that there's an element where winning is a byproduct. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I think Dave Brandt would would disagree that winning is not important when uh and, and I would disagree with that. I'm like, I, I think we talk a lot about wanting to win versus having to win. Mm. Um, and, and wanting to win is really important. Wanting to do well on your English paper is, is critical. If you don't want to do well, you probably won't. Now, if your identity is based on how smart you are and you take that chem test and you bomb it, all of a sudden, it's a reflection on who you are because your identity is based on you being smart. And deep down inside, you know you're not that smart. But everyone tells you you're smart. Your identity is smart. And all of a sudden, you've been found out that you're not that smart. And all of a sudden, you're just like, you don't, you don't like that. You're not interested in that challenge. And, you know, I think, you know, Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, has an impact on that. But um, that, you know, her book isn't through a biblical worldview lens. And so for me, you know, the, the problem, the problem with having to win, that's, what's going to make you happy. That's your identity. That's who you are. There's two sides of that coin that fall short. One is 99 times out of a hundred, there's someone else that's going to be better than you. That's going to win more. That's going to be the last man standing that, um, and, and you're miserable and you're, you're just um, miserable to the people that you're around, uh, to your family members, to the people that you love. Um, and I'm like, it's a miserable life. Now, the flip side of that coin is if you do, you do experience success, right? You, you're like the number one business salesperson on the Eastern seaboard. And you're just like, man, you, you win a state championship, a national championship. You just got a glow about you. Well, that glow wears off. And uh, the next day you got to go to work or you got to go to school and you got to do the same thing over. And all of a sudden that success is like a heavy grind and it's a weight. Um, my favorite story is we won a national championship. We were at camp that summer. So we had a national championship tee that we were selling that had a year on it. This little kid comes up, looks at it, goes, this is from last year and walks away. <laughs> Division three the final four is the first weekend in December. Three weeks later, the calendar year flips, and what you did was a year old. Yeah. It just doesn't last. Um, and it just doesn't give you the satisfaction and happiness and joy that you think it will. So we talk a lot about the pursuit of excellence. It's just attention to little details. Um, a lot of people have stolen 
his definition of excellence, but a guy by the name of Chambliss studied swimmers back in 89. Um, and he's just like, it's, it's, it's the qualitative attention to little details built up over time that allow you to sometimes bump up against success. Um, and so we hold on to that with, with, with two hands. Um, and, it allows us to embrace challenges, right? Because if we fail, it hurts. <laughs> we don't like it, but it doesn't reflect on who we are. Mm -hmm. If you fail in a test, it may hurt, but it doesn't reflect on who you are. Maybe may say, hmm, I can't study in front of the TV, or maybe I need to study more than one hour, or whatever that may be. And so the ability to embrace challenges is exciting because that's where the growth is. That's when you get better. That's when you improve, uh, when you're willing to risk your heart uh, because, because you know you're, you're an heir to the kingdom. Mm. Let's go. So good, Brad. Uh, I love it. Thank you for taking, taking your time. Um, that, was, that was really good. I know our listeners are, listeners are going to enjoy uh, hearing your heart hearing your perspective and uh we could we could go for round two uh, maybe in a in a future year to just keep keep picking your brain and, and hearing your heart so thank you um but we just like to end with prayer is is there anything that we can be be praying with you about yeah this was a this was a challenging uh fall for me and our program um one of our alumni who was supposed to be back here for his fifth year um Luke Colios is father um, was diagnosed with brain cancer. And so uh, he decided not to come back for a fifth year to be mm. with his dad and his dad passed away this fall. Mm. Uh, and then we had um, an opponent uh, at York uh, College who uh, is a player, he's a junior, great kid, passed away unexpectedly. Uh, and in the middle of um, our season, my, my father passed away unexpectedly. Sorry. And so... You know that that's 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 been a lot. Um, it's been a lot on my players. It's been a lot on me and on my staff. And so, yeah, I, I I'd certainly be interested um, in prayers for me, but also prayers for for you know those that 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 lose loved ones. Um, we know we know we're only here for a short period of time, uh, but it's still hard. It's still difficult. It still mm. hurts. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that, but uh, yeah, we can. We can pray. Let's let's in there, uh, Father. We we love you, God. Uh, we trust you. And thank you, just so much for Brad being able to come and share his his story, uh, his experiences, uh, his faith in you uh, as a coach. Um, and God, we just lift him up and his family as they're just uh, grieving. Uh, loss right now and just for all the the student athletes uh, around messiah god uh, that you just work in their heart that, that they would just trust in you and we know that you're working uh, all this for for your glory um just pray you'd bless brad uh in these coming weeks and months and uh and that he would feel just ever ever close to you and we ask this in jesus most precious name amen amen Amen. Amen. Chad, great job interviewing Brad. Um, such a humble guy. You know, I feel like I see myself if I had won that many national championships, even if it was just as an assistant coach, what kind of ego I would have, you know, 
but such a humble guy. Um, one of the topics I really liked was when he talked about the relationship between an assistant coach and head coach. And I was an assistant coach for 10 years. And, you know, he talked about disagreeing, you know, in privacy, but, um, you know, being united um, in public. And I struggled that with my kids now. I have a three and a five-year-old and, you know, they're trying to pitch my wife against me and um, just playing those manipulation games. And and I think we see that as well. If if the coaching staff is not united, I think that happens too in athletics. For sure. I, I agree, Gian. It's one of my favorite parts of of what my assistant coaches did um, was when they did come to me in, in private and shared their honest opinion. Um, so I think that's that's huge. And there was just so much within there. Uh, I just love um, Brad's humility and, and openness and thoughtfulness. Um, a few things was just uh, him saying that about wanting to win versus having to win. I think that's just kind of something we all have to ask ourselves as coaches is like, what's what's driving this desire for, for winning and, and excellence? And um, yeah, there, and even he was talking about just casting a vision and getting the players to buy in just the simplicity of of that as a head coach that's your job is cast a vision get the team get everybody to buy in but um so so many good ones uh jim what what do you got yeah great conversation chad did a great job enjoyed hearing brad's heart and like you said the humility and coaches that are listening we just want you to know we want to encourage you we want to serve you we want to impact you because we realize this profession is hard uh, Brad made the comment. He said, coaching is hard. Relationships are hard. And we realize that. Um, we live that. And th that's the power of this podcast to encourage you. So I encourage you, coaches, don't give up. You are impacting people. You are influencing people. This is God's calling on your life. This is more than a profession. And at the high school level, the middle school level, the college level, whatever level you're at, there's going to be situations, there's going to be um, conflict because we're dealing with people, we're dealing with sinners, and we are trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So, man, I'm just passionate about that. I know it's hard. I know it's tough. There's times where you want to quit, but man, I continue to encourage you to press on. And as a reminder, all our listeners, as we finish, the mission field is right where you are at.